Well, God, today we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that, God, we would be uh, people who have open ears and open eyes, that we would understand what it is you have called us to do. And, God, may we be people who are not frozen in fear, but may we move forward in obedience to what you have called us to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, we're starting a new series um, called Battle Ready. And in this series, we're going to ask, really, God, we're, we want God to move us forward by faith. And so you're going to see this idea of moving forward by faith in everything that we do. And as we focus on this, we're going to be looking at, at Joshua. We're going to be looking at, at Caleb and their lives. We're going to look at what God shows us through the book of Joshua. But we're going to start off in Numbers chapter 13. And before we get there and we really start to dive in, I'm going to read scripture because we're kind of covering two chapters today. So I'm going to read it as we get to it rather than read it all at once because I think it's going to make a little more sense, a little uh, uh, better idea as, it, as it's fresh in your mind. But I want you to think about this. In Numbers chapter 13... I want to preface what's taking place because the people of God were carried off into slavery. If you remember at the end of Genesis, there was this guy named Joseph. Joseph was leading. Joseph was great. He was, he was a strong ruler, strong leader for the people. Josh, or sorry, Joseph dies. When Joseph dies, there's people who forget about, about Joseph, and, and the people are eventually carried off into slavery. They're carried off into slavery into the land of where? Egypt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For all of you who are awake. All right, they're carried off into slavery in the land of Egypt. And as they're carried off into slavery in the land of Egypt, they serve under the Pharaoh. They serve under the people. They're driven to a point where they start to cry out to God. God, you need to help us. You need to relieve us. You got to send us. And God hears the cries of his people. And he sends this great leader named Moses. And Moses delivers his people. They walk across the Red Sea. They're, they're led out of slavery, led out of bondage. They're across the Red Sea. And as they're crossing the Red Sea, God gets to a point where he says, hey, guess what? I'm going to take you into this promised land, but here's what I want you to do. I need 12 spies. We're going to take one person from each of the 12 tribes, and you're going to select those individuals, and they're going to go in, and they're going to scout out the land, all right? They're, they're, they're doing some, some pre-scouting, you know? It's kind of like the chiefs are scouting the Texans all week, all right, they're watching film, they're watching highlights, they're, they're seeing the enemy, they're, they're evaluating the enemy, they're evaluating what's, what's taking place, what they need to do, and things like that. They've gone in, they're going to go in and do this. All right, so Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, listen to what he says, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. Now listen to what he says, which I am what? What? Giving, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So I want you to see what's taking place. There are 12 leaders that have been selected. These are, these are what we would call the cream of the crop. They are people of integrity, people of character, people who are leaders, people who have led out in battle, people who have led people. They, they are the front people, right? These are not slouches. It's not just any old person. These are the, cre the, the key leaders within the 12 tribes. They've been selected to go out and to scout out the land that the Lord is what? Giving them. It's already given. God says, I've already promised it to you. Matter of fact, that's why they call it the what? The promised 
land because it was promised to them. It was the hope, the future. It was what they would own, what they would take care of, what would they would represent, and it would show that God's power rested within the people of Israel. But there's a problem. And that problem becomes the fact that what we're going to look at really in today's sermon called Facing the Impossibilities. All right. See, God uses men and women who stand tall in the face of adversity and they remain obedient despite the obstacles in front of them. But there's a problem. These people suffered from something called grasshopperitis. They looked at the problem and the situation rather than looking at the God who could provide or overcome the problem and situation. And what they did really was they suffered from this, this disease called grasshopperitis, which is a human view where people and problems are bigger than the God of the universe. And that is literally what takes place. And so I told you we we're going to be in chapter 13 and 14. I just read the first part, but we're going to go on and I'm going to pick up in verse 17 and we're going to read to the end of chapter 13 just real quick. All right. It says in verse 17, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Listen to what he says. I just want you to look. I want you to challenge them. I want you to, to, or I want to challenge you to, to look. Are they strong or are they weak? Are they few or are they many? What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was seasoned for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob, all right, toward Lebo, Hamath. And they went through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Amiah, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had, built, had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshel, they cut off a branch. Listen, they cut off a branch bearing a, a single cluster of grapes. Now, for those of you who go grocery shopping, you can kind of picture this idea. A single cluster. That's more or less what you get like a bag at Walmart. All right? So in other words, we're not talking like a big, massive amount. It's a single cluster. But listen to what it says. This is the beauty of what God is giving them. Cut off a single cluster of grapes, and two of them carried it on a pole between them. All right, now, now I'm, I'm kind of, you know, in my mind, I'm trying to remember the, the, the show with The Rock where, hey, uh, Ethan, you guys watch it. What is that one where they go back in time? They're not in time. They go to the land, and the bees are flying around. You know what I'm talking about? What is that? Journey to the center of the earth. Sorry. Thank you. My brain was going. But in journey to the center of the earth, like the bees are huge. All right. It's almost like these guys are journeying to the center of the earth. Only the grapes are massive. It literally says it took two of them to carry them on a pole between them. I'm kind of picturing like this massive cluster of bananas. You know, like if you've ever seen a banana tree like out in Hawaii, there are these huge clusters. It would probably take two people to carry them. Only it was grapes. They're carrying these grapes between. So there's, there's this land flowing with milk and honey, and they carried them between the pole along with some pomegranates and figs. I love pomegranates. And that place was called the Valley of Eshol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 45 days, they returned from exploring, or sorry, 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, and there they reported to them and to the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. Listen to what happens now. 
They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey. Check it out. Here is the fruit. Now listen to what happens in verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. They live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. And then listen to Caleb. I love how Caleb and Joshua respond. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. And we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Here's the reality that we have to begin to understand is if we want to be used by the living God, we're going to have to, to face the impossible situation when he called you to it. When he's called the church to an impossible task or an impossible situation to an impossible mission, God says you've got to get your eye off the impossibility and start putting your eyes on the possible, on the promise of what I said. And too many times what I feel... In, in, in any way of what God can do in and through us. Do you get that? Could everybody hear me? All right. Yeah, yeah, I just led an example maybe. All right. So here's the thing. Here's the big picture. If we remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God provides opportunities where we may only see the obstacles. God provides opportunities where we may only see the obstacles that we face day in and day out. A lot of times we look at the size of the obstacle instead of the size of our God. And so here's the big question that I want to ask. How can we be battle ready? The truth of the matter is this, that Christians have to be battle ready. Now, before you go out here going, oh, that's what he's talking about. We got to fight against people. I'm not talking about that any way, shape, or form. Because if you know, you've heard me say it in the past, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's what Romans says or Ephesians, all right? We have to begin to understand that. Our battle is not against people. Our battle is a spiritual battle that's taking place in an area that we are not even most likely gonna see, but it's something that we have to take part in. It's something we have to overcome in order to see the victory, in order to experience the promised land, in order to, to experience the blessings that God wants to unleash upon his church and upon his people. 
We cannot let the obstacles overwhelm us. And so how can we be battle ready? Number one, we have to do this. We have to trust God's promise to his people. Look at verses one through four, all right? And what we just said, he says, I want you to send men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. A gift is a promise. He is promising that to his people. He's saying, I'm giving it to you. All you gotta do is go explore it. And likewise, it's the same thing in every situation that we face in our life that God wants to give us things, but here's what we end up doing. God says, I'm, I'm giving this to you. I'm, I've given you this opportunity. I've given you this promise. I've given you all of this thing. And here's what we do. Well, you know, that obstacle is just too big. I can't overcome it. I can't defeat it. It's, I can't go around it. So I'm just not going to try. And that is exactly what the people of Israel did. They let the fear of the obstacle so overwhelm them that they begin to go back in a different direction. We're going to unpack that here in just a second. But we have to trust God's promises. See, over 2 million people in all of Israel and each tribe selects only 12 leaders. 12. All of those people led out of, the, out, of, out of slavery to Egypt, led into and heading towards the promised land, and they are, they are basically whittled down to 12 people. And of those 12 people, 10 fail. We're not talking about slouches. We're not talking about people who were only halfway committed. We're not talking about people who didn't have a past of success. We're talking about people who had led, people who had influenced, people who had character in the past, people who had integrity in the past. And all of a sudden, guess what happens? The obstacle is seen and 10 of the 12 want to flee. See, to be selected was a noble honor. All the hopes and fears and dreams and desires of the nation rested on these 12 spies. But when the leaders of Israel acted in obedience to God's instructions, things would go well. But when the leaders of Israel acted in disobedience, things don't go so well. And as a result of what takes place in the lives of these 10 spies... A whole nation is swayed to go in a certain direction. And as a result of that, because of disobedience, they suffer the consequences. And I think it's important for us to see what this means in each of our lives. Because when we become so overwhelmed by the obstacles, when we stop in fear because of that, a lot of times that means we're not being obedient. When God calls you to something, he's going to get you through that thing that he's called you to do. And I believe wholeheartedly that's one of the things, one of the biggest fears that we as a church have to overcome is this, the obstacles that lay before us. Because right now we live in a world of chaotic times and uncertainty, and here's what ends up happening in the church. All hell's going loose, Jesus come back. Now listen to me, I want Jesus to come back. But I also know that there are a lot of things that are supposed to happen, that the Bible is very clear that when these things start to happen, it's just the beginning. And I believe that there are so many people who are so stuck in the mentality that Jesus has got to come back that we forget that there are obstacles to overcome because God still has a mission and a purpose for us to be here and to carry out what we're supposed to do. We can't let the obstacles stop us, but when we trust in God and trust in God's promises, then we'll be successful. See, God's promise was the land he was giving them, the land he was leading them to. That was his promise. And obedience in part 
is not obedience. Obedience in part means there's disobedience in there somewhere. And if we let disobedience rule in our life when God has called us to something, then how can we ever expect God to bless us out of disobedience? Obedience, matter of fact, I'm gonna steal something from my parents' church and I love what their statement is. Obedience is our success. If you are disobedient in any way, shape, or form, even just in one little area, you're disobedient. You can't go, well, God, I was obedient in these three things, but you know, I didn't follow you this way. We have to trust in God's promises. Why? Because his promises are what are going to get us through the difficult times, the struggles, and, and the situations. See, they started off obedient. Listen to what they did. It says, when Moses sent them up to explore the land, go up through the Negev. So they went up. They went up and they scouted everything out. They looked everything over. They, were, they, they saw the people. They saw the challenge they faced. They saw the size. They saw the, the land flowing with milk and honey, how it was going to provide for them. They saw that. That was obedient, wasn't it? They weren't like, oh, you know what? There's no chance. Let's go. They went up and they saw that. They were obedient in the first part. They were disobedient in the second part. So they weren't successful. Why? Because they were only obedient in the small area. You can be obedient in small areas and still be disobedient to God in every other area of your life. I think that's one of the struggles the church has. We want to show God how much props we've given him by being obedient in small things, but we're not obedient in everything. If we were obedient in everything, then we wouldn't be, I'm just going to throw this out there, we wouldn't be afraid to share the gospel. We let the obstacle the fear of what we could or could not lose in a friend persuade us not to share the gospel with those who are closest to us. That's one of the biggest struggles, I would say, in the church. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to lose a friend. don't want to be fearful. That's one of the biggest struggles, but we got to trust God's promise to his people. See, their job was to determine the nature of the land and to identify the strengths and weaknesses of the inhabitants. That's it. Their job wasn't to come back and say, hey, we should go or we shouldn't go. All he said is, I want you to go out and scout it out. Not up for you to tell me what to do. I mean, if, if, if the admiral came in and said, this is what we're going to do. I want you to go out and scout it and prep. And I came back and said, you know what? It's no good. We shouldn't go. No admiral would listen to me, number one. Right? But that would literally is what's taking place. They go out and scout, and then they come back, and they're like, hey, you know what? We're not going to go. We shouldn't go. So how do I get ready for battle? How can we be battle ready? Number one, we have to trust God's promise to his people. Number two, we don't allow fear to determine our direction. We don't allow fear to determine our direction. Look at verses 26 through 29. We've already focused on this, but what happens? He says, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, and there they reported to them and to the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. Now, my thought process just in the description would be that the people would be overwhelmed and even overjoyed at the size of the fruit, a cluster of grapes, that had to be carried on a stick between two people. I don't know how much that would weigh, but it's obviously got to be pretty heavy because they're carrying it on a stick. 
And the people have got to be excited. Man, that's awesome. Do you realize what we're going to be eating? We've been out here in the desert. We've been scrounging for stuff. And we're going to have land flowing with milk and honey. And there's these grapes and these clusters. It's huge. This is awesome. So they give the report to Moses. And it says, we went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. There's the promise God said. I'm giving you the land. The promise is I would provide for you. I will take care of you. No matter the cost, no matter what's going to happen, this is what's going to be your success is when you're obedient to me, you're going to be gracious. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be taken care of. It's going to flow with milk and honey. And listen to what the people do. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. Matter of fact, go down to the end. We look like grasshoppers in our eyes, and to them too. Now, you and I know grasshoppers aren't anything big. I used to take them as a kid when we were up in our, in our cabin in Wyoming. We would grab them, and we'd rip a leg off. Sorry, we were at a reservoir. We had a, we had a little pond, reservoir. We'd rip one of the legs off. Now, these are grasshoppers that fly. That's Wyoming. And then we'd rip one of the wings off so it couldn't fly. And then we would throw it out in the water, and it would start kicking, and then the fish would be like, whoosh, whoosh, and we're like, that was awesome. That's more or less what the people felt like. They're like, we look like grasshoppers. In other words, we're in trouble. And we said that they had grasshopperitis. They had this fear, this disease that basically said that, that, that they were going to face impossible situations and that there was no way. The problems and difficulties they faced were bigger than the God of the universe. But we can't allow fear to determine our direction. See, there's two normal responses when we face a giant or when we face an obstacle in our life. Number one is intimidation. We're intimidated by the size of the obstacle or the problem. Number two is oftentimes inadequacy. We're intimidated by the size of the obstacle, then we feel inadequate. We're not able to accomplish it. And that's exactly what took place in the lives of these people. Number one, they were intimidated. These people are huge. Number two, they were inadequate. And here's the beauty about inadequacy. When you get to a point where you say, I can't do it, but you trust in God who can do it, that now becomes not inadequacy, but adequacy. Because the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not based upon your power, your might, your ability, but it's based upon the fact that if God has called you to it, he will get you through it. If God has called you to take on a responsibility, he will get you over the obstacle. But here's the negativity that oftentimes creeps. We tend to be negative people. And so I want to ask you this questions. Do you look at the problem or the possibility? Do you look at the barrier or the possible blessings? Do you see the obstacles or do you see God's opportunities? Because that's the reality of what should take place in our lives. When we face a difficult situation, we look to it, we cry out to God, and God said, I will provide for you, I will take care of you, I will never neglect you, I will never leave you, everything is going to be fine. But we oftentimes look at the obstacle instead of looking at the opportunity that God wants to say, hey, guess what? I'm going to provide for you in this situation. Because listen, the word but is a huge word. And the minute you start to say, but, you start to doubt God's qualities, God's characteristics, and God's promises. 
The land I am giving you. Yeah, it was great. It was flowing with milk and honey. But those people are huge. And we are tiny. Our church is small. And the city of Independence is huge. Our church is small and the state of Missouri is massive. Our church is small and you can't imagine the reality of what takes place in our mind. We can only do so much, God. And God says, you overcome the obstacles by trusting in me, not by trusting in you. And so we don't allow fear to determine, that's obviously misspelled, your direction. We can't allow fear to freeze us in our tracks. And that's exactly what the people allowed to do. Number three, how do we or how can we be battle ready? Number three is that we follow God no matter the cost. And I know we've said this over and over and over again, but I want you to think about this, that we follow God no matter the cost. What does that mean? That means that just as I said earlier, obedience is my success. When I am obedient to God, then I will be successful. I may not be successful based upon what the world says, but I will be successful based upon what God says. See, God is working out his plan in his timing, and he will provide exactly what we need at the very moment we need it. See, the church is not made up of spiritual giants. That's oftentimes what we do. We look at the big leaders. We look at Billy Graham, and we look at uh, you know Spurgeon, and all these guys, and we're like, man, those guys are great. They were the heroes. They were the spiritual giants of the faith. But the church is not made up of spiritual giants. The church is made up of people who have been broken, broken men who are obedient to God and who can lead others to the cross. That's what the church is made up of. 99% of the church is made up of what we'll call nobodies. People who aren't famous, people who don't have a lot of money, people who are not gifted in every way, shape, or form. But listen to me. They are broken men and women who are able to lead people to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the reality, that we follow God no matter the cost, and that is exactly what Caleb and Joshua did from the get-go. Listen to verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people. I love this. He silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up. This is a command. We should go up right now is really what he's taking and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Is Caleb boasting in his power? Is Caleb boasting in the power of the Israelites? Is Caleb boasting in the power of those people and what they could accomplish because of their sheer size and numbers? No. Caleb's trusting in the promise that God gave him from the get-go. Caleb's trusting the fact that God said to do it, then I'm supposed to do it. I trust in God no matter the cost. I follow God no matter the cost. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Psalm chapter 119. I'm going to read these to you just very quickly. 119, starting in verse 99. And listen to what he says. I'm going to start in verse 70, 97, sorry. Oh, how I love your law, how I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statues. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself had taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. There is a way that leads down a road of destruction, and there is a way that leads to life and life more abundantly. And what the Bible is saying is this, that when I follow God's laws, God's commands, God's precepts, then I am set up for success. But when I run to my own direction, then I am set up for failure. And here's one of the things that I think is the biggest kicker in today's church world, if we want to classify it as that, is that we have given up the idea that we are obedient to God's word, and instead we've catered to the whims of man, and we've compromised our theology, and we've compromised our doctrine for the sake of saying we want to reach people, so we don't want to isolate people. And the reality is this, anytime you compromise God's word, anytime you walk away from what he says, what you're saying is the obstacle is bigger than everything else and the obstacle can't be overcome, so I'm going to just cater. When the obstacle can be overcome, we have tried anything and everything under the sun to reach this world. We tried new cool music. We tried flashier shows. And listen to me, I, I love the music. I love lights. As a matter of fact, if we had the option, I would have lights up here now that were colored. All right, just to have something different besides just plain white. So I'm not anti-modern church, and I want you to hear that out. But I'm also not anti-traditional church either. The reality is what we tried to do is overcome an obstacle by man-made attempts instead of overcoming the obstacle by being obedient to what God called us to do first. Go and make disciples. That's not just for pastors. That's for everybody. That's the commission he gave to every member of the church. And so I follow God no matter the cost. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. I want to ask you this question. Do you spend as much time with the Bible each day as you do with TV? Do you spend as much time reading the Bible as you do with your newspaper? Or for those of you who don't read a newspaper, social media? Do you spend as much time in the Bible as you do with anything else? Because I believe this wholeheartedly, that we cannot be obedient to God's word if we don't know God's word. You can't follow God no matter the cost if you don't know what God is calling you to do. And I find it ironic, I find it troubling that to many in the church world, many so-called believers who will say this, well, you know, God told me I could do this because he loves me. And what I mean by that is this. I've had people literally tell me that they could go against what God's word says because God loves them. Let me tell you what that is. That's man-made teaching in a theology that's centered on man, not God. The minute we walk against or in disobedience to God's word is the minute you are set up for failure. You won't be successful and you'll go back. Trust me, you'll go back because that's exactly what ends up happening here in this section of scripture. See, we lose wisdom when we forget that God has all the wisdom and that God has all the power. We lose any sort of power and authority in the world when we forget that God has all the power. See, Caleb and Joshua responded by trusting God would provide everything they need to take the land. 
But the 10 let stupidity lead them and the obstacles grew bigger and bigger. So number four, how can we become battle ready? Number four, we trust in God's provision. We have to trust in God's provision. Listen to chapter 14. I'm gonna read verse five through nine real quick. It says this, then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. See, good leaders lead their people even when the people don't want to be led. A good leader will stand on the truth even when people don't want truth. A good leader will call people to repentance even when people don't want to repent. Moses and Aaron, along with Caleb and Joshua, cry out to the Lord in repentance, lamenting for what the people had just said. And I want you to think about this because what they wanted to do was to go back. Listen to verses one. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. You get the big picture of what's going on now? Not only were they delivered from Egypt, not only were they carried off and to see the promised land, but now because of a bad report, because of these men who created conflict as they spread a bad report among the Israelites, these people begin to listen to these leaders. And they say, if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Listen to what just took place. This is kind of what goes on in, in, in church culture to a certain extent, church world. We select a leader. The leader is led in the direction that he feels like God is calling him. And as long as that person is on board with the Bible, there should be no conflict or controversy with that. But a leader is selected, and then all of a sudden people go, well, wait a second. It was better back then. I would rather go back to Egypt. Remember, the people cried out to God, God, we want to be delivered from Egypt. God answers their prayer, and now what are they praying to do? God, we don't want this. We don't like this. Can you take us back? We know you've provided. Man, matter of fact, we've seen your provision. We don't want it. We'd rather go back. We'd rather be slaves to the Egyptians than walk in freedom even though the obstacle is in front of us. And so we begin to neglect God's provision. And the reality is if we want to be battle ready, we have to trust in God's provision They had experienced God's power, God's wisdom, and God's ability, and now they're crying to go back to oppression and slavery that the very God that delivered them from saved them from, and that's what they want. I'm convinced of this. A lot of times, we don't know what we want. God knows what we need. We don't know what we want. 
See, the human sinful tendency is this. We lapse back to our addictive ways of sin and despair after seeing God's miraculous work on our behalf. We run to sin like it's no other. And we run away from God like there is no other. And I ask you this question, do you trust in God's provision? Do you realize how obedience leads to his blessing? How overcoming an obstacle is a result of God showing us the opportunities. He overcomes the obstacle for us. It's an opportunity for us to experience God's goodness, God's greatness, and God's power. We have to trust in God's provision. And then number five, I believe, is this. In order to be battle ready, we have to understand this, that God is a forgiving God, but there are consequences for our sin. We will still face consequences. It's called discipline. I had a conversation with an individual this week, and he talked about a number of situations and struggles he's been going through. And I remember talking to him, and I said, you realize that you are experiencing the result of your sin in your life. It's called discipline. Well, I'm not sure I'm saved. No. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Yep. Have you confessed that? Yep. Do you believe he rose again, defeating sin, defeating death? Yep. Oh, you're saved then, buddy. You're walking in sin. And God's disciplining you. And hear me out, church, that God will not remove his hand of discipline off the church when we walk in disobedience. And that's on each one of us individually. God will not remove his hand from you. Matter of fact, it's kind of like a parent with a child. Sometimes a swift kick in the tail is all it takes. A nice little smack on the butt to put you back in line. And a lot of times that's what ends up happening. God disciplines his people. And as a result, the people here, and we know it from the story, don't get to experience the promised land. Because of their rebellion, because of their rejection, because of their disobedience, Listen to what happens in chapter 14 and following, verses 10 down to verse 17. It says, the whole assembly talked about stoning him. This, is, this should put something in reality. Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua. And listen to what it says. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. Do you know what it's like to be a leader sometimes? Yeah. Sometimes people want to stone you. I've seen multiple pastors go into churches and basically more or less get railroaded or stoned to death because of disobedient people who didn't want to follow what God wanted, but rather wanted traditions or their way. Listen to what ends up happening. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the Israelites, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? You hear what he's saying? This is the judge holding his people in contempt in court. How long will they treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all my miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and I will destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. You hear what he's saying? Uh-oh. 
You want the wrath of God? All right, you got the wrath of God. These people are gonna get struck down. And listen, I love this. This is the beauty of what Moses does. Listen to what Moses says. Then the Egyptians will hear about it. And by your power, you brought these people up from them and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. And they have already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people and that you, O Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, that you go before them with a power, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them into the desert. Now listen to verse 17. And this is Moses crying out in repentance for his people. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed. Just as you declared, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving in sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. So listen, here's the reality of what ends up taking place. God shows his mercy. God shows his grace. God shows his forgiveness. His, 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 uh, he's slow to anger and abounding in love. But listen, there are consequences. He forgives them and he doesn't wipe them out. But the consequence is this. Listen to verse 30. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As a result of disobedience, as a result of their crying out to go back, you got to remember this, that God gives them what they want. And that is, they didn't want to be a part of the promised land. And so God says, fine. You don't want to be a part of the promised land? You're not. And as a result of their disobedience, the people of Israel end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. 40. One year for every day that they went out and spied out the land. All because, listen to this, all because they let the obstacle scare them. They let the obstacle become the priority. They let the problem become the priority rather than the promise of God. They let the obstacle take away the opportunity for God to work. And what I would say to you today is this, church. We have obstacles, we have difficulties, and we have problems that we face. And the question is this, are we going to let the obstacle scare us away from being obedient to what God has called us to do? Are we going to let the problem take away from the promise that God has made? Remember this, God said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. The question is, are you on board? Are you a part of the kingdom? Are you a part of building God's church? Are you a part of allowing God to work in and through you? Or are you one of the people that sits back and goes, man, if we could just go back. If I could just go back, it'd be so much easier. Back when people were different, the gospel's still the gospel. Back when people weren't so violent, the gospel's still the gospel. Back when people weren't so evil, how does evil get overcome? With good. How is good or what is good according to the Bible? The good news or the term we get gospel from is good news. 
The only way to overcome evil is with good. The only way to overcome darkness is with light. According to the Bible, God is light. In him, there's no darkness. So the reality is this. God has provided every measure that we need to overcome every obstacle we face. And every obstacle we face is an opportunity for God to show his goodness, his mercy, and his power as he works in each and every one of us where we're at. So my question is this, are you battle ready? I challenge you over the next couple of weeks as we close with this song that you spend time reading. I would read through Numbers and I would start reading Joshua. And I'm telling I'm dead serious. I'm gonna make this challenge. Um, if you don't spend more time reading the Bible than you do on social media, got a problem. I'm just as guilty. Trust me, I sit there and I, I end up going, oh my gosh, this world's going to hell in a handbasket and all I gotta do is read Facebook or Twitter. The only way to know God's wisdom, God's power, and God's authority to overcome the obstacles is not by you're just mere, I'm just gonna buckle down and do it. It's by trusting his word. To run to God like the refuge he is and not listen to the whims of man. So here's what we're going to do. As we close in a song, I want to challenge you with this. Numbers may be down, people may be sick and things like that, but I'm going to ask you to do this. If you are committed and you're saying, God, I want to be battle ready. I want to take the fight to the enemy, remembering that the enemy is not the people that are around us, but the enemy is the rulers and authorities in this heavenly realm, Satan and his people who are working. I'm going to ask you to do this, that where you're at, or up here at the altar. Matter of fact, you can even come to the steps. I would even challenge you to do that. That as the band sings over us, that we would be people who begin to pray wholeheartedly, that we would not let the obstacles overwhelm us, but we would look for the opportunities that God wants to show his might and his power to work. So let me pray. And as I'm praying, I'm just gonna ask you to come. Those of you who are committed, listen, if you don't come, I'm just going to ask you to pray where you're at. This is not about trying to separate out the, 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 the wheat and the tares or the sheep from the goats or anything like that. But those of you who can come, I'm going to ask you to come. I think there's something about making a step forward and showing people, I'm committed. I'm ready. Father, we pray today that we would not be frozen in fear, but we would move forward in obedience. God, we would not look at the problem, but we would remember your promises and that we would not be overwhelmed by the obstacle because every obstacle presents an opportunity for you to work in our lives. And so God, as we come to you in prayer, as your people move forward, as we step out in obedience, God, I pray that you would work mightily through us and in us. God, may we be people who are changed by the power of your word. May we be people who overcome evil with good and violence with love. May we understand that light penetrates darkness and where there is light, darkness flees. So God, I pray today that you would raise up leaders who would be obedient to you no matter the cost. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.